Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Twentieth Century Fox would like to introduce you to Pee Wee and his pals. Tommy, Mickey, Tim, and the biggest man on campus. Why do they call you meat? Because it's so big? When they're not in class, they're into everything. But what they'd like to get into most is a place called Porky's. I left my idea. Here, use this one. That's my Bible school card. Unfortunately, we can only show you the outside of Porky's. Because what goes on inside is not to be believed. Boy, the locker room. Oh, it turned me on. We'd like to show you more of the locker room. But this kind of physical education just isn't taught. We can't show you more of the shower scene. Because what they're looking at isn't watered down. They want us to look. They want us to look. Porky. You too will be back for a second look. Okay, I'm ready. Hey there, it's Brian Davis. And for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Porky's from 1981. The studio was 20th Century Fox. The release date, well, there was a couple. There was a small release in November of 1981, which is why people say the movie came out in 81. However, the wide release was next year, on March 19, 1982. The running time was 98 minutes. The rating was R. The budget was between 4 and $5 million, and the box office was an absolute smash, making a $105 million, making it the fifth-ranked movie of 1982. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 33% rotten from 24 reviews. The critics' consensus is gleeful in its misogyny and celebratory of bad behavior. Porky's is an intermittently funny farce that will leave audiences feeling in need of a shower. Roger Ebert, no surprise, hated the movie, and at the time gave it one and a half out of four stars. Here's his review. Porky's is another raunchy teenage sex and food fight movie. The whole genre seems fixated on the late 1950s and early 1960s when the filmmakers, no doubt, were teenagers. Do today's teenagers really identify with jokes about locker rooms, Trojans, boobs, jockstraps, killer dyke gym coaches, and barfing? Well, yes, they probably do. Teenagers seem to occupy a time warp of internally unchanging preoccupations. Hollywood originally entered the world with a certain innocence in the late 1950s with Pat Boone and Beach Party movies. That innocence is now long, long ago. Since American Graffiti, National Lampoon's Animal House, and Meatballs, this type of movie has turned cynical. This type of movie was labeled with an acronym called Acnes. If you don't remember, it was about the dreaded adolescent character's neurotic eroticism syndrome. In Porky's, the male characters are neurotic about the three usual suspects, the size, experience, and health of their reproductive organs. The female characters, on the other hand, are seen almost entirely as undiscovered species from a lost continent. They are whispered about, speculated about, spied upon, victimized, and in general feared. 
And it's not only Mrs. Ballbricker, the juggernaut gym coach, who's a heavy. All of the women in this movie are weird. One howls like a dog during sexual intercourse. Others lure unsuspecting horny teenage boys into rooms with trap doors and then dump them into alligator-infested waters. In fact, the strangest thing about Porky's is how much it hates women. The only close friendships in the movie are between men. The movie even takes certain scenes that are usually cliche for female characters and assigns them to men. For example, you can hardly make a movie like this without a scene in which someone is caught nude in public. Remember Hot Lips and M.A.S.H.? Well, in Porky's, it's a kid named Pee-wee. He's caught with his pants down, chased into the woods, picked up by the cops, and deposited at a local drive-in hamburger stand where he poses like September Morn. Since the movie doesn't like women, its sex scenes all create fear and hostility, which prevents them from being funny. Sex scenes about fear and hostility, on the other hand, can be very funny. Even in an easy scene like one where the guys are spying on the girls in the locker room, the director, Bob Clark, blows it. Peeping Tom scenes can be very funny. Remember John Belushi on The Ladder in Animal House? Here, it's just smarmy. There's one other problem. None of the male actors in this movie look, sound, or act like teenagers. They all look like overgrown preppies at their fraternity pledge class's fifth reunion. Jokes based on embarrassment never work unless we can identify the embarrassed character. Here, the actors seem to just be acting. I see that I have neglected to summarize a plot of Porky's, and I don't think I will. I don't feel like writing one more sentence, which is, to be sure, all it would take. And that's the end of Ebert's review. Wow, Ebert really hated this one. However, the movie going public loved it, and I'm sure much to his dismay. One thing that Bob Clark mentioned when asked about Ebert's review is the supposed hatred of women, quote, Clark obviously did not agree with Ebert's take, and if anything, the women in the film are usually the ones getting the last laugh on the guys in the film, which Ebert totally missed out on. So growing up in the 80s, just the mention of Porky's sort of took kind of a mythical turn when it came to discussing the film. Because this movie was released almost 15 years before most of the world was tapped into the World Wide Web, Porky's was almost like a rite of passage for teenage boys looking for a quick thrill. It was essentially the movie equivalent of flipping through a Playboy magazine. It's interesting, and, and this is why I mentioned the mythical part of the film, because the discussing of the film about certain scenes were almost more entertaining than the actual scenes themselves because they were just so hyped when you talked about it. And this is likely why the film did so well through word of mouth. For most young moviegoers, this was the first time you saw full nudity on camera. Not just naked women, but there's tons of male nudity too. Something for everyone. <laughs> so while it would be a knee-jerk reaction, really, to call this movie one-dimensional, it isn't. The women always get the last laugh against the guys. They are always in control, and the boys are just fumbling over themselves. Just like in real life when we're growing up. So the main cast, and now you usually I go through the main cast, but this is truly a cast of unknowns. However, the most notable stars were the supporting cast, like Kim Cattrall in one of her early roles, who definitely has one of the more memorable scenes in the film. You get Susan Clark, who was probably the biggest name star at the time. She had been in films like Madigan and Coogan's Bluff, which we did an episode about earlier, with Quinn Eastwood, and a number and she was also in a number of TV shows in the 1970s. And she would actually be Alex Karras's wife in the hit TV series Webster. Karras is also in Porky's, coincidentally. The director and the writer of Porky's is Bob Clark. He had a major hit with an early slasher film from 1974 called Black Christmas. 
He then directed Murder by Decree, which was a Sherlock Holmes movie, and then Tribute with Jack Lemmon, and he received an Oscar nomination. He would go on to direct one of my all-time favorite films in 1983, A Christmas Story. And then a year later, one of my cult favorites, Rhinestone, with Sylvester Stallone and Dolly Parton. All right, let's give some background about the making of this film. So Bob Clark had an idea for a sexual coming-of-age story from the early days when he was getting into filmmaking. He had collected stories from various schools across the countries, and these tales were what went into the story of Porky's. Every studio turned down his idea since they felt it was too vulgar to be successful. But finally, when he was nominated for an Academy Award in 1980 for the movie Tribute with Jack Lemmon, the studios finally allowed him to make Porky's. However, the studio got cold feet and eventually pulled out. Clark decided to keep shooting in Miami using his own money. 20th Century Fox changed their mind after Bob Clark convinced them that this small budget film could really work. Again, the cast was pretty much unknown, which really works for the film. Bob Clark didn't think Kim Cattrall would even want to be in the film, but she loved the script and wanted the part. Susan Clark was, again, the most famous star at the time in the film, and she had worked on a prior Bob Clark film called Murder by Decree. She, too, loved the outrageous script and enjoyed doing something different than she had done in the past. So Clark actually hadn't found the actor to play Porky until two weeks before shooting, and the Porky character eventually went to Chuck Mitchell. The test screenings were enormously successful, and that carried over to the wide release. The film is actually much more clever than the detractors give it credit for, and there's a reason it's so beloved in this genre. It's actually really much more than a TNA movie. It's really a coming-of-age film, but the hype and a few scenes really kind of overshadowed the movie as a whole, and the, and the movie poster basically gave away the shower scene. Porky's was actually a real place in Fort Lauderdale, and, and there was a standard nightclub with wild stories. It wasn't quite like the movie, but enough to kind of give inspiration. Bob Clark admits as teenagers, all of his buddies, all they thought about were sports and sex, and that's exactly what this movie is. Really, it's the first movie to openly talk about sex and be funny. And what other movie opens up with a guy waking up with an erection? <laughs> American Pie can thank its existence due to Porky's. However, you could say it actually started all with Animal House with the raucous nature. So even though all the actors are actually in their early 20s, they pulled off the high school look, especially for that era. If you look back at all the high school yearbooks from that era, which would have been the 40s and the 50s, the high schoolers looked older and more mature than today's high schoolers. Part of that is the way they had to dress in their outfits for, you know, school pictures. Clark said the studio limited his script to only 50 fucks in the dialogue. His script had far more than that originally because that's how him and his buddies talked in high school. However, looking back, Clark said it worked way better that the harsh language wasn't overused and it would have taken away from the jokes. Today movies... The language is way overused, and it's lazy writing, and it loses its effect. So Nancy Parsons, who played Ms. Ballbricker, was actually a classically trained actor. <laughs> the character that Bob Clark created wouldn't have been as funny if it was a male coach. He knew this, and Parsons played it perfectly. Dennis Quaid was offered a role but turned it down last minute, and he would have been one of the main boys, either Tommy, Billy, or Mickey. The critics absolutely vilified the film, just like Roger Ebert. But history has shown this film is much better than the original reviews. And though I absolutely respect great critics like Roger Ebert, they are, the, they are critics for a reason. The bottom line is box office success, and the paid customers loved it, and that's all that matters. Bob Clark actually played college football and semi-pro ball before getting into the movies. 
All right, let's get into the film. This is a movie where the plot is so loose, pun totally intended, that I don't think anyone really remembers the main plot of the film for the most part. What people usually remember are the key scenes. But that's what I'm here for. I'll give you some plot, you filthy animals. So if you didn't know, Porky's is an after-hours roadhouse filled with all the debauchery you could imagine, but more on that later. The film is supposed to take place in 1954, and immediately we see our hero, Pee-wee, who is in bed. He's awakened by the sound of his clock radio. However, as the camera pans down, you see Pee-wee in all of his glory as he's pitching a tent in his bedsheet. There's a funny scene as his mom enters his room and he quickly rolls over, which does not feel great for him. The guys listening will understand. So he tells his mom he's pulled a growing muscle. He also decides to measure his pride and joy, and we discover that he's been charting his growth, or lack of, for a long time. Right off the bat, you know what kind of movie this is. Next, we cut to a typical day at school for our main characters. We find out that Pee-wee was set up with Wendy since the guys were trying to get him laid finally. Well, as things got going, Pee-wee already had a rubber on underneath his underwear. Because of this, Wendy gets pissed and now she wants to pull a prank on Pee-wee to get him back and his buddies are involved in this prank. More on this later. And then we are introduced to yet another colorful character, Meat. You did too. My name is Mindy. Can I ask you something? Yeah, sure. Why do they call you Meat? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Wendy Williams told me I should ask you. What you do, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah? Why do they call you Meat? Because you're so big? Uh, yeah, sort of. Not sort of. Why? Really want to know? Yes. Okay, come on, I'll show you. Meet, 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 wait, 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 she's only a freshman. Yeah, but after this, she'll be an instant senior. But, 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 meet, listen, if you get suspended again, you'll never get that scholarship to Princeton. Now think about that. Uh, I'm sorry, babe, no cigar. Can't do it. You won't tell me. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Pee-wee's basically the butt of every joke. Every group of friends has one guy like him. This time, it involves eggs. What are you talking about, Pee-wee? Hey, man, I'm going tonight. Going where? I'm going, man. You can ask him. They said I can go. Yeah, he'll be the comedy relief. Yeah, I guess you could <laughs> use you for a little recess period. <laughs> Real funny. What are you doing with those eggs? What eggs? What eggs? Those eggs. Oh, these eggs. They're for you. <laughs> for me? Yeah, we thought you might like to wear one today. Timmy! Funny. It's not half as funny as the look on your face. You gotta let me do it to somebody. Oh, no, Pee-wee. I don't know. I don't think there's anybody left. Oh, come on. There's gotta be somebody well, left. Pee-wee, I think we've done just about everybody. Yeah. Let me do meat. You gotta let me do meat. Come on, Timmy. Okay. Okay. Now, listen. The one in your left hand is the raw egg, okay? That's the one you drop. Now, the one in your right hand, that's the hard-boiled egg. That's the one you hit him with. Left hand raw, right hand smack him. Go get him, Tiger. Hi, Meat. Hey, Pee-wee, what's going on? I'm nothing. Cash? Hi. Hey, watch it, man. She's, you know, what are you, a psycho? What's with the eggs? What eggs? Those eggs. These eggs? Watch my lips. Those eggs. These eggs? What, is there an echo here? <laughs> well, they're for you. For me, what am I going to do with them? Well, uh, we thought you'd like to wear one today. 
So basically, they palm the dummy egg, and of course, it doesn't go well for Pee Wee. Next, we are introduced to Miss Honeywell, or Lassie, played by Kim Cattrall. The younger gym coach wants to hook up with her and asks the other gym coach why her nickname is Lassie. It's not because she looks like a dog. Think howling, especially if you get her up to the equipment room. More on that later. One of the most memorable characters is Miss Ballbricker, who is the girl's gym coach. Her first line is priceless as she asks one of the coaches to keep his balls off her gymnastics mat. Basketballs, of course. So the boys have a secret peephole underneath the gym, which looks right into the girl's shower. Of course, this is like a daily ritual for the guys. Everything is great unless Ball Bricker shows up or Kong. Damn it, we missed him. Shh. told you we were gonna miss him. Well, it's okay, Pee-wee. Take it easy. We'll get him next time. Yeah, but Miss Walker, a real woman, and I missed her. Pee-wee, you're about to get laid by an exotic dancer in a few hours. That's a real woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I gotta go home and warm up. Warm up? Alright, so the guys decide to hire a prostitute named Cherry Forever. This is Susan Clark. They want to play a prank on Pee-wee, and they drive out to this creepy shack on a country road to get him laid. The shack looks like something straight out of Deliverance. Hey, come on, boys. No stripping, no dipping. Come on, let's go. Up, you big husky. Come on, come on, come on. 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 We got inspected last week. Lucky you. Okay, Jerry. Hey, hey, so make a line, make a line, look sharp. Come on, make a line. Timmy, Timmy. Gentlemen, gentlemen. This is Miss Cherry Forever. Cherry, this is Steve. Hi, Steve. Cough. <laughs> and, uh, Cherry, this is Pee-wee. I'll say. What do you use for a jock strap, kid? A peanut shell and a rubber band? Hey. I love the, the line that Cherry Forever says, My God, the boy is deformed when she sees meat. <laughs> so, the prank involves putting Cherry in a different room as she fake moans, while the guys sit in the other room stark naked, expecting to get laid. The boys that are in on the prank hired another guy to act like he was Cherry's husband, and then he comes out acting like a lunatic. He's wielding a machete as one of the boys puts fake blood all over himself. Everyone freaks out that the husband crashes through the door, and then Pee-wee takes off (laughs) running down the road bare-ass naked. Of course, a police car just happens to be on patrol and drives right alongside a Pee-wee. They put Pee-wee in an oversized shirt and drop him off at the local drive-in. So Bob Clark said they actually pulled this prank on the actor that played Pee-wee, that's Dan Monahan, by not picking him up for over an hour as he stood naked on the side of the road waiting for someone to pick him up. He thought they forgot him. So for as much as the female shower scene gets all the publicity, there's as much, if not more, male nudity in the film. Bob Clark said that the people were going crazy during the screening when the Cherry Forever scene came on. 
So again, while the movie is madcap sex comedy through and through, there are some strangely serious scenes involving racism and anti-Semitism with one of the guys, which is mostly due to to his upbringing and his moronic father teaching him to be a bigot. To be honest, I really forgot all about these scenes, and while I'm sure the writers were trying to make this film be more than what it really is, it does feel a bit random. However, this was a personal part of the movie for Bob Clark, who said that the school was that he went to was still segregated by the 1950s, and that anti-Semitism was very pertinent. And the story of the Jewish kid in the film is based on a real kid that Clark knew and went to school with who didn't put up with any shit and was very tough through the taunts and the bigotry. So anyway, it's back to the zaniness, and the boys finally head to Porky's Roadhouse for some adult fun. So Meek gives everyone a fake ID, and it's on to the inside to a genuine den of iniquity. Basically, it's like a redneck strip club with a full bar and gambling. The boys ask to see Porky, who is perfectly cast and played by Chuck Mitchell. He definitely looks like a guy named Porky. You might remember Mitchell also played John Cusack's boss in the movie Better Off Dead at the burger joint when John Cusack is daydreaming about the dancing hamburgers and fries while Van Halen's Everybody Wants Some plays. So anyway, the boys want five women to party with. Porky says no, three women for a hundred bucks. The boys go to a room expecting to party and instead they end up in the moat which is underneath the drawbridge where the roadhouse is. The boys are pissed off, but it gets even worse as the local sheriff shows up, played by Alex Karras, and he performs a little small-town rough justice. They decide to bust the taillights of the boys' car to extort money from them, and the fines just happen to be 100 bucks. And oh, by the way, the sheriff is Porky's brother. This prank actually happened to Bob Clark, except they didn't end up in the water. They were locked in the room for 15 minutes, and when they finally got the door open, they were in the parking lot. Mickey, who is played by Roger Wilson, is the most pissed off of the boys by being embarrassed by Porky and is shaken down by the sheriff. Also, Mickey's brother, played by Art Hindle, is the sheriff of the county that they live in, but doesn't have jurisdiction where Porky's at. Mickey, like an idiot, goes back to confront Porky alone and gets the shit kicked out of him. Mickey's brother is a good guy with a level head, of course he's the sheriff, but Mickey needs to learn a lesson on his own. In the meantime, the gym coach is still trying to figure out why Miss Honeywell is called Lassie. And then Ball Breaker butts in. (laughs) The girls are waiting, Miss Honeywell. How's Lassie? Lassie's fine. She's still a virgin, but she's fine. You, on the other hand, are gonna be dead if you don't tell me why they call her Lassie. Then we get one of the oldest and still the funniest prank calls around. Ah, the days before caller ID. Great, it's great. <laughs> I know my daughter. Wendy, hun, would you get that for him? You got it. Dead feet. Uh, hello. 
Hi. I, uh, I'm looking for a friend of mine. He's supposed to be there. Uh, what's his name? His name's Michael Hunt. <laughs> uh, uh, Mike, Mike, yes, Mike. Mike Hunt? Okay, just hang on a minute. Is Mike Hunt here? <laughs> Mike Hunt here! <laughs> oh, I don't know who Has anybody seen Mike Hunt? Frank, <laughs> everybody in town for what I am. Hey, Frank, ask for the car hops. Mike Hunt's outside. <laughs> Telephone call for Mike Hunt. <laughs> Is my cunt the parking lot? Is my cunt the parking lot? Do you know Mike? Oh, got him! Hey, Ray, I'm going to get you. So Meat finds out he doesn't get into Princeton and decides to get drunk. Unfortunately, the cops show up in the middle of his tirade and he passes out in his chili face down. That boy been drinking? No, sir, officer. Our friend is a diabetic. Thank you, Edward, for bringing Anthony some sugar. How many cubes of sugar does your cousin require when he's had too much insulin? Two cubes of sugar. Usually is enough to bring Anthony around. Oh, feel better now, huh? <laughs> Gee, uh, I've never seen anybody drown in a bowl of chili before. <laughs> Me neither. I wouldn't even know how to fill out the forms on that. Yeah, you're right. It'd be a lot of hassle. I guess we better save him. Yeah, I guess we better. <laughs> you know, I'm not a doctor, but... I could swear this youngster's inebriated. Oh, no, no, sir. No, no, Well, now, if you guys say he's a diabetic, okay. But if we find out he's drunk, we're going to book the whole lot of his accessories. He's smashed up, sir. Son of a bitch does it all the time. The next day, the gym coach is still trying to get Miss Honeywell up to the equipment room. Tell you a little secret. I already know. <laughs> Miss Honeywell, do you mind... Do I want this disgusting? Two of you squirming about like a pair of eels in heat. You're a disgrace. Yeah? Well, I sure be stomping and waddling around like a frigid hippopotamus. Why don't you call me Beulah? Beulah Ball Breaker. Who do you think you're talking to? Well, if I heard a hurdy-gurdy plane, I think I was talking to the fat lady in the circus. But as it is, I guess I'm talking to a ton of bad news named Beulah, Beulah, Beulah! You better! Moral turpitude. What? Moral turpitude. Read your contract, Miss Honeywell. I'll have you fired for moral turpitude. You can take your moral turpitude and you can stick it up the old gazoo, Beulah! Gee, man, I don't know. And we finally discover the reason her nickname is Lassie. Who would have guessed the smell of jockstraps would turn on anyone? (laughs) 
Utterly. Utterly. Saw you last evening. case of the runs. Boy, it hurt like hell. You probably heard me all the way out here. Must be catching. How's that? I hope you haven't grown too attached to Angel Beach, Coach Brackett. All right, boys. Fast break, three. So director Bob Clark said the tale of Lassie was a real story at Fort Lauderdale High as a particular girl who was a swimmer at the school would actually howl when she was in the throes of passion. Clark was actually around when this happened behind the pool. Who would have guessed, 20 years later, Kim Cattrall was essentially the same character on Sex and the City. Next, of course, is arguably the most famous scene in the film. This is the shower scene, or beaver shoot as they call it, in which the boys finally get the full view of all the girls showering. This is pretty much the scene that would be infamous for teenage boys, right up there with Phoebe Cates and her topless scene in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Pre-internet, this movie was a rite of passage for a young male. The boys ended up getting caught because Pee-wee is an idiot and told one of the larger girls to move out of the way. 
Then comes a hilarious scene as one of the guys decides to stick his dick into the people while not realizing that Ball Bricker is now the only one in the shower and she starts tugging on it like a rope of taffy. The way Ball Bricker grabs at it is absolutely priceless and when the guy's chest smashes up against the wall after she started tugging on it, it's just perfect timing. It's a brilliant scene. So there was an outtake that had Ball Bricker with both of her feet on the wall tugging away. Well, that was actually set up by a pulley system. They couldn't pull it off perfectly. This prank leads to one of the funniest scenes where Ball Bricker has to explain what happened to the principal while the coaches just lose their mind in the background. Now, Mr. Carter, I know this is completely unorthodox, but I think this is the only way to find that boy. Now, that penis oh. had a mole on it. I'd recognize that penis anywhere. In spite of the juvenile snickers of some, this is a serious matter. But that seducer and despoiler must be stopped. He's extremely dangerous. And, Mr. Carter, I'm certain that everyone in this room knows who that is. He's a contemptible little pervert who's... Baldricker. Well, I'm sorry. But I've got him now, and I'm not going to let him slip through my fingers again. <laughs> now, all I ask is that you give me five boys for a few minutes. The coaches can be present. Tom Turner and any four boys you see fit to choose. And we... And we... And put a stop to this menace. And it is a menace. Well... What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Five young boys in the nude. A police lineup so that you can identify his tallywhacker. Uh, please, please, can we call it a tallywhacker? Penis is so personal. Oh, oh. Penis is so personal. We can put hoods over their heads what? to avoid embarrassment. <laughs> now listen, we have got to do it as distasteful as it is. I know it's him. That telework uh, had a mole on it. And that mole is the key to it. Miss Barbrecker, do you realize the difficulty of your request? Now, I would be very happy to, uh, to apprehend the young man uh, myself. But can you imagine what the Board of Education would say if you were granted a lineup in order to examine their private pa 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 their private parts for an incriminating mole? Mr. Carter. Mm -hmm. Mr. Carter. Mm -hmm. I think I have a way out of this. We uh, call the police, and we have them send over one of their sketch artists. <laughs> and Miss Ballbreaker can give a description. <laughs> we can put up wanted posters all over school. <laughs> 
you seen this prick? <laughs> Report immediately to be with the ball breaker. <laughs> Do not attempt to apprehend this prick, as it is armed and dangerous. <laughs> It was last seen hanging out in the girl locker room at Angel Beach High The great part about the scene, besides being hilarious, is that it's one shot, no cuts. The timing of the scene is just perfect. Okay, so the rest of the movie is not as lighthearted, as Mickey kind of gets the crap kicked out of him by Porky's goons, and then the rest of the film is the boys figuring out their revenge on Porky. The revenge scene is fun to watch, but really the point of the scene is to show some sort of a semblance of a plot device. In any case, it doesn't take away from the film at all. So as a viewer, you're supposed to hate Porky, and you do, but honestly, the boys were wrong to begin with. They were underage, and Mickey keeps asking to get his ass kicked every time. In any case, this is just me being older watching the film, because as a kid, I had no problem with what the boys did, and Porky did take it too far. Anyway, the final scene of the movie with Bob Ricker is hilarious as she's still trying to find out who stuck their dick through the shower people. So one interesting thing about the end is they play a full scene during the credits, which was unusual for movies back then. Now it's very commonplace. This might have inspired the ending to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. All right, a few more fun facts. Bob Clark had a tough time getting a Christmas story greenlit by the studio, but once he agreed to do a sequel for Porky's, then the studio agreed to do a Christmas story. Howard Stern actually obtained the rights for a remake of Porky's, but could never get the proper studio backing for his remake. And Stern also had Bob Clark's blessing on the remake. All right, we have one of our favorite guests, Bill Roseberry, back to discuss Porky's and all the good times about seeing it as a kid. And does it still hold up today? We'll find out from Bill. And I'll be back next week and to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, we're back with Bill Roseberry, and it's always great to have him on. And we're going to talk about the early 80s classic, especially for young males, and that is Porky's from 1981. How you doing, Bill? <laughs> Not bad, man. Oh, man, the memories I have for this movie are <laughs> insane. So I don't think people nowadays realize what kind of a, a rite of passage this movie really was. Oh, right. I mean, I, I think I kind of talked to you when we were talking about doing this movie, my buddy Kevin and I, I want to say we were we were either 13 or 14. We'd grown up together playing baseball, and uh, he was staying the night at my house. And my dad would take, like I'm sure probably a lot of dads at that time, your dad probably did it, he would rent movies or whatever, and then he would dub them. He would tape them onto another VHS tape. Yeah. Well, actually, it was my it was my mom that did that. <laughs> she oh, was yeah? the, she was the dubber, yeah. Yeah. So dad dad would have all these movies, and there were some of them that were off limits to me. Sure. You know, uh, and Porky's was one of those. Another another one was um, oh god, uh, Skin Deep by John Ritter. That oh was yeah. Another, that was another one Kevin and I snuck in the middle of the night. But <laughs> the first one we tr did was uh, Porky's. We waited till. He was staying the night. We'd have a baseball tournament or something, and they'd gone to bed. You know, the way my childhood home was 
constructed, there was a big, you came up the stairs from the basement, and then you turned left into a big li- open living room area and dining room area. And if you went right, you went down a hallway to the back of the house, and that's where the bedrooms were at. Mm-hmm. So they're all the way down at that hallway in their bedroom, and we're way out on the other end of the house, you know, where the TV and stuff's at. And mm-hmm. we pulled Porky's out and put it in, and we turned it down real low, and we started <laughs> watching it. And I mean, to this day, I mean, they know the story now, and they think it's funny that we snuck it. But to this day, I don't know how we didn't wake them up. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, we were, it was so hard not to, I mean, we were laughing. From from the moment Pee Wee pulled out his growth chart, which yep. we're 43 years old now, and Kevin still talks about Pee Wee's growth chart. That's right. All the time. So, I mean, it was just, it's an amazing movie from, for, like you said, for a young boy, the nudity that's in it is, it, it, it's awesome. The shower scene is iconic. And then just the, the hilarity that's within that movie, the comedy is over the top. I, I think the tallywhacker scene in the principal's office oh. is one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. To this day, when I watch that, I know what's I know what's coming. And I still laugh so hard at that every well, time I see it. The great part about it, especially a scene you know it's coming, you start to look for other things. And so you watch maybe one of the characters you weren't normally paying attention to, because usually you're looking at the two main characters. But if you look at the people in the back, you know, their reactions. And as I found out from, from watching this movie and doing some research, that a lot of it, that laughter was genuine. Like, they were literally cracking up in those takes. Because oh, uh, it was tell. so funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the, the principal is the one that I like to watch, because he tries to hold it together so long. Yeah. And I mean, when he starts saying, you know, penis is so personal. Can we yeah. call it a tallywhacker? <laughs> and the other guys are over there just dying, and he's holding it together. And as 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 Miss Fallbreakers keeps going on, the look on his face, you know, he's about to lose it. And when he does, you know, it's just it's just classic. And then the the pan over to the Dwight Eisenhower picture with the smile, yeah, is just. <laughs> The perfect cap to that scene. Well, I think, you know, it was a real smart move uh, by the director to, and, and the director, of course, was Bob Clark, to, to make the gym teacher, the main gym teacher, a female. Because if it was just a regular male teacher, a lot of the, these funny scenes that happened wouldn't have happened, actually. Right. And I mean, they don't, it, it, she was kind of like the stereotypical female gym teacher from that time. I mean, I era. know. Yeah. Yeah, from that era. I mean, I had a couple that were like that, that just kind of grouchy old women that, you know, I don't know, that 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 was just the perfect setup, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the casting, it's funny because arguably the most famous person that came out of this was Kim Cattrall. And she's got, a, a, you know, one of the more memorable scenes, which is based right. on a true story from from Bob Clark there, except it was by the swimming pool instead of the, the upper gym. Um, so oh, it's, really? I, yeah, yeah. I so didn't know that. That's awesome. a lot. All of these scenes are, a lot of them are kind of like vignettes. They're all basically stemming either from Bob Clark's high school days or from, um, you know, stories he had heard over the years. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that wow. fa- the other famous person <laughs> that people forget about is Susan Clark who plays cherry forever. So those are the kind of the two main, um, you well, know, Al, yeah. Alec Harris is in it too. Oh, that's true so, too. And which is, NFL yeah, and, 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 and what, which, uh, 
which I was bringing up to Mike, it's kind of an odd thing for anybody from from our era growing up. You brought up I, Su- Susan Clark, is that her name, the actress's yeah. name? Mm-hmm. Her and, and Alec Harris, remember, they were they were uh, acted together in Webster. That's They're right. Webster's <laughs> parents. The mom and dad. So, yeah, the mom and dad in, in uh, Webster. So it's kind of weird to see them in that movie and then know that they did Webster, this family-friendly TV show, you know, it was, yeah, other than that, boy, the, the cast, a lot of them, you know, you haven't really seen much of. I know, uh, I, I know Porky himself was in, I, I better off dead. X? Yeah, he wasn't better off dead. You're right. And then meat. I just watched, uh, recently the guy who played meat was in, um, rising sun mm-hmm. with Sean Connery and, uh, Wesley Snipes. There's a scene where he's a bouncer and Sean Connery, kicks his ass oh right because he's telling sean connery he doesn't want to hurt him and sean connery throat punches him and just drops him to his knees yeah and it's it's funny and then well bob bob clark was kind of saying in the in the special features on the dvd that a lot of the actors and they had a tough time getting work after this because i mean now you look at it, this movie's relatively tame it's still it's still risque but nothing like it was back in the 80s i mean especially now where you go on the internet you can get anything but back then like watching porkies or you know even looking at like at a playboy magazine it, it was a big deal because there was no internet or things like a- that absolutely and that shower scene yeah so yeah it it, it was so big controversially at that time you know yeah. i mean you just didn't see things like that there were there was full frontal nudity in there and everything. Yeah. I mean, completely naked young young women yeah. that you just didn't see that in movies. So right, and they actually wanted to to have the guy's dick like actually come through there, and they couldn't do that. But there was supposedly a mock up where Ballbricker was actually had both feet uh, on the you know like the the tile basically trying to grab at it to get it out and they thought it was so funny but they couldn't they couldn't get it in so it was was just too much but yeah what's funny is people remember a couple scenes like that but there's actually what i didn't realize until i really kind of watched it again was kind of a darkness with the kind of the anti-semitism and the racism angle to it yeah i noticed that again here when i watched it too and i always thought that was it was a little strange sidebar to that movie yeah uh, but it does it does kind of work i mean you know, there there is a little bit of a message in that movie, you know, on top of all the just sophomoric, you know, adolescent humor, you know. Right. And actually, that is based on uh, Bob Clark's experience, too, because growing up, I think he was it was I think in Florida, uh, there was a kid that was Jewish <clears throat> that was picked on a lot and he didn't put up with any shit and he fought back and you got to remember this is late 40s, early 50s. So uh, that was going on back then. And uh and so, yeah, so that takes place. It's funny because in the 80s, you kind of had the revival of all the stuff in the 50s. It's like that 30-year mark. Right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they did do a lot of that stuff. I Yeah, I didn't really think about that, but you're right. There is a Peggy Sue got married and Back to the uh, Future. Back to the Future. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what are your oh, other favorite scenes from here? I Well, here's one. When they go to the uh, – when, when Pee Wee calls – calls up and uh, asks Wendy if he can if if uh, he can talk to Mike Hunt. You're right. And she's like, uh, has anyone seen Mike Hunt? Yeah. Is Mike Hunt here? I'm looking for Mike Hunt. <laughs> that's a, that's oh, a goal. So, there's so, so many classic. like little sidebar almost vignette type things that have nothing to do with the the plot, but they're just you know they're they're funny. They're like funny sidebar things. Yeah, Wendy. 
Wendy was great in that movie. Too. Oh, she was. And actually, what's funny is it, a lot. Of, I guess Bob Clark was saying he got a lot of flack because of, um, you know, he thought maybe the the movie was a bit sexist to some people. But if you look at the girls, they were always in control, and actually, they always got the last laugh when it came to the guys, especially with Wendy. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's how it is in reality too. Yeah. Most of the Time. I mean, you, we think we're smooth, but we're we're all stupid. I mean, right, especially at that age. Yeah, yeah, especially at that age. We're we're stupid now. I mean, don't get don't don't kid yourself. Right. No, I get it. (laughs) We still we still never have the upper hand when it comes to women, and and we never will. No. None of us. Yeah, none (laughs) of us. So, how often do you watch this? And and when was the last time you actually watched this? Besides, you know, kind of recently. Probably a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, every now and then I have a big Fourth of July party, or I'll have a bunch of people over or whatever, and we'll just be drinking and popping movies and that's usually one of them that that i'll throw in it's just great to watch with a big group of people because it's so hilarious Mm -hmm. and it's just fun and it's light you know you can kind of talk and hang out and not have to necessarily follow too much of a plot structure you know just wait for the funny scenes to to come up you know that's right so so yeah, I mean, I'm probably watching every couple of years. I don't know. I'm I don't know how you are, but I have, you know, I know we have similar movie collections. I think I have, you know, 750, 800 movies. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I just kind of go through randomly and, um, you know, pick different stuff out, and and so I'll go long periods of time without without watching certain things. But this is a movie that I've seen so many times. That uh, you know, it's 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 pretty uh, branded into my brain. Sure, sure. And then to kind of wrap this up, how do how do you feel about the two sequels? Um, well, I never watched them. Oh, really? You never I saw know. the next day? I, and then, I never yeah. saw the next day in Porky's Revenge. Wow. Uh, yeah, I I it, this was just a movie that I loved. I loved so much. Um, I never really heard anybody say you need to watch those. You know. <laughs> It was always this one, you know. Right. So what? How how are those? I, I, I mean, no, I mean, I've always kind of heard they were just. Eh. I've seen part bits and pieces of them on cable. Yeah. But never, and I'm, it's cable, so I knew it's not going to be any good. So it, it's there's moments, and uh, yeah, they definitely don't hold up as well as the first. And I, I think Bob Clark did, he he did the second, or he definitely didn't do the third, but. Yeah, I think the, the success of the first one really surprised everyone because it was such a small budget that right. it was kind of like a no-brainer to do another one. It was kind of like Meatballs. You remember, like, there was like two or three, yeah. or even four Meatball movies, but I don't think they had anything to do with the original, so. No, they, I, we, watched, yeah. Yeah, I watched the original one, but uh, I, I never really watched any of the, uh, and it's been a long time since I've seen Meatballs, but they, I never watched any of the, uh, the subsequent films, yeah, the, the yeah. sequels to that either. Well, Bill Murray wasn't in that one, at least. So right. those, those I don't think had any, uh, with the exception of just you know being about a camp. Uh, at least Porky still had the same cast pretty much all the way through the three movies. But yeah, they just they didn't have the same spark um, because you, you're not surprising anyone with the sequel. It's really hard, you know, when when you uh, you have the first right. movie that really uh, people aren't expecting, and then the next movie they're kind of expecting it. And how do how do you change it up? You know, I think all kind of series go through that formula. Yeah, especially comedies. Um, yeah. There are good sequels to comedies. Like, I mean, I I've enjoyed some of the American Pie sequels, but uh, take like like Anchorman is a classic movie to me. Anchorman yeah. Two is garbage. I mean, oh really? It's <laughs> I, hate it. 
I did I'm like uh, Brick's girlfriend, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 but I, I just didn't really like it. And uh, now I watched Super Troopers 2 yeah. a while back. Mike and I watched it, and I heard a lot of people bash on that. I thought it was actually pretty good. I really liked that one. I Yeah, I didn't mind it either. I think the problem with, with sequels, you got to do it somewhat quickly, like within you know a few years. Because if you wait too long, it's really, that's hard. Right. It, I mean, with comedies, though, there's usually iconic things that make a really classic comedy that's so funny. Yeah. So when you make a sequel, you got to recapture those moments, but not by doing the same joke over again. Right. And, most and that's of the time they do yeah. the same jokes over and over again. And that's kind of what happened with The Hangover. You know, like the yes. great, yes. the Hangover was so great in the ending, and then they kind of just did this exact same thing in the second one they try to come back in the third and i'll still watch them but yeah the magic is in the first well i watched the second one i i the third one i won't ever watch again i watched it once and i was just like all right enough's enough you know right. but, <laughs> but uh, yeah you're right the, the original hangover was absolutely hilarious it's probably one of the one of the best comedies of the last decade or so i mean oh easily it's not the best yeah it was like a modern day animal house in many ways yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, another thing in Porky's that, sure. that I didn't mention, you were talking about scenes. The black guy that they get for Cherry Forever, that guy, uh, again, it was these moments where, like you said in the principal's office, the laughter just seemed, it, it just seemed so genuine, which is right. what made it so funny. And, and, and I guess in a lot of ways it was. He made that scene when he's just dying laughing and just yes. the whole time and they're trying to quiet him down. Oh, it's so... It's so hilarious. And then yeah. he comes out like he's just like, oh, you think he's going to rip everyone apart. It's hilarious. Yeah. But then it, it took him about 30 seconds and he's dying laughing. again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. What a great scene. Yeah. So many good stuff. And, and yeah, again, like this, I think some people um, watching it today that never seen it might not get what all the, the hoopla was about. But if, if you kind of put on your. Uh, pre-internet minds i think uh, you, you'll enjoy it. and again some of this comedy still is timeless right and you know people need to do that when you watch movies you need to try and put yourself in the time frame that that came out to really understand the the artistic approach of the movie and the you know and, and what it meant or the controversy that it meant at that time and right. sometimes that's a hard thing to do i didn't watch <laughs> shaft until I was, you know, in my 30s. I had mm -hmm. never seen Shaft. Yeah. But the part where Richard Roundtree's on the street and the white guy's going for the cab and he, like, yells at him and says, go get your own cab, honky, or whatever, and he, and he goes off on the guy and the guy kind of gets scared and he walks away. I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's not that big of a deal, but I'm putting... In the 70s, putting yeah. Wrapping my head around, like, 1971. yeah people seeing that it's like yeah i mean those types of things they have a lot more shock value if you put yourself in the time frame at the time of when a movie came out right you'll you'll appreciate kind of the the shock value of it and the and, and you know the the uniqueness of it a little bit Ab more absolutely absolutely well again as always bill you're great i love having you on and i expect you to be on really again soon so thanks again Awesome, man. I appreciate it. I love doing this. So. Thanks, buddy. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com. 
from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the bad beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie (laughs) I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbean. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault on Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. This is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer 
new and old deep tracks of kick-ass guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to. That's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up.